And um, I feel like it's like Jesus and disciples, and you know, like the room, and he's got twelve people sitting there, and he's just sharing with the twelve people, and those he impacted twelve people, and that was enough to change exactly. the known world. Yes, exactly. That was enough. They got the revelation, and that was yes. enough. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Zechariah? Zephaniah, Zechariah. Yep, it's in there somewhere. It's, in, it's one of the it's one of the it's one of the minor minor prophets. Yeah. Like Habakkuk. He's in the Old Testament. So last night I spoke on I don't think I think you're the only one that weren't, wasn't here last night. Last night I spoke on sonship, and I talked on the spirit of sonship. And <clears throat> the, the perspective that I came from, just to give a bit of a recap, is that a lot of our view about the Holy Spirit has been based upon anointing, giftedness, power, of what we can do with God, which is all true, it's all evident and it's all true. But we, we, because that has been our focus, we've missed the primary reason the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the believer is that we are endowed with a spirit of sonship. That's how we get to know God as Father. That, that is the help, the assistance, the endowment so God can be God can be revealed to us, we can know him as a father. That's the primary reason why the Holy Spirit was put inside of us from the day of Pentecost onwards. And so I want to, I want to continue on in this vein and talk more about sonship tonight. Those of you that went through the A school, some of you went through the A school, and we are having another A school coming up. And this, what we would call this normally, is the heart of sonship. This thing is called the heart of sonship. And let me start off by reading you um, a couple of verses, just so we can get a perspective. We can get a biblical perspective, what is taught in scripture. And this, I mentioned this verse last night, but I want to kick off with this one. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses um, 17 and 18. Come out from among them, and I will separate and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and you will receive, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now that is the, that is the heart of God. The heart of God for you and I is that we will discover sonship. Sonship primarily for us is a discovery. It's something that we discover. Now, the beautiful thing about sonship is it's all about knowing what it means to be within the context of a family. Having a father, being a son. Walking as a son to a father. The son walking with the father. It's to do 
with a relationship that's happening between God and us. And in the same way that Jesus walked as a son, because he was called not only the son of man, he was called the son of God, we get to walk in the same way with God as father. We get to walk the same way. So it's not like this relationship between Jesus and the Father is something that is off limits. It is something that is excluded from us. We have a picture of it. It's exemplified before us. It's shown in scripture. But one of the reasons I believe that Jesus did what he did and said what he said was so that we could see his life with the Father. We got to see the life of Jesus with the Father and the life of Father with the Son. Now what we're seeing portrayed in the Gospels, what we get to see portrayed in the Gospels is for us. That is for me. I am walking as a son. I am learning what it is to walk as a son. I'm learning to know what it is with God being my Father and walking in sonship. And I'm becoming more comfortable with God fathering me. Now that, that's what I did with my three children. I failed on many occasions, but they, all three of my children know now that I absolutely love them. I've got to apologize where I've made mistakes, but I believe that we've still had, Ganilla and I have had a huge influence in our children's life because of our parental role, that it's there because of biology, obviously, but we are their parents. I'm their father, Ganilla's their mother, and we've got to father them into this world, okay, and they still look to us as mum and dad. They call us mama and papa because we wanted to have the Swedish, um, use the Swedish terms that they'd use. And that was important. So that was what we, what we brought into our family, and we see that same thing being exemplified in the spiritual context in the life of Jesus. That Jesus got to be, lived out what it was to be the Son of God, with, Jesus, with the Father being a father to him. And that becomes very evident to us in John's Gospel. Jesus saying, I only do what I hear my father say and I get to do what I see my father doing. That reveals to us that the ministry that came out of Jesus was out of a relationship. Yeah. Ministry was out of a relationship. Yeah. It wasn't just, oh, I've got a good idea to go to Myrtle Beach and do a meeting. No, I come here because we've actually prayed, we're walking with God, these guys have prayed and walking with God and we talk together and said, yeah, let's do this. And that's how it happens. It's not a complicated thing. So here Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, says, in relation to Jesus, I will be a father, in, re in relation to God, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. In um, John chapter 14, 
we can turn there, John chapter 14 and verse 18. This is a, a very poignant verse that, that Jesus brings out, this statement Jesus brings out in this dialogue with the disciples. It says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now that verse has two implications to it, two profound implications to it. The first implication, sorry, the three implications. The first implication is that their hearts did not know God as Father. That's why they were orphaned. That's the way Jesus said to them, your hearts are actually orphaned, and, but something's going to change. Well, the second implication, if something's going to change, they're going to come out of orphanness into sonship. They're going to discover that God really is their father. And that whole process happens because Jesus says, I will come to you. That is the gospel. That is how it happens. God comes to us. In fact, I think when I look back over my life, there's multiple, multiple times when, when God has come to me. The Father has come to me. The Spirit has come to me. And it's like so puny our attempts to get to God in comparison to God's pursuit of my heart and my life. And so he says here, I will come to you. He's here right now. He's in the room right now. But he was also on the beach at Myrtle Beach today. Because I was there. When I was walking on the beach, he was there. And that is, that is the beautiful thing about the gospel. The beautiful thing about the gospel of the kingdom is that God comes to us. And that's how we discover him. That's how we realize and recognize and see his presence. He's come. He's come. I remember when Ganilla and I met. Ganilla and I met. Oh no, she says. We met in 1980. I know, we met in 1987. We met on July the 5th, 1987. I remember it was the day after American Independence Day. We were both living in Scotland. Ganilla was working on a YWAM Bible school, and I was in YWAM shortly to be involved in another YWAM school that was about to start. And I met Ganilla. She came out of this. I was standing in the hallway, and Ganilla was coming out with all the students. She was coming out, and I met her for the first time. And I thought, wow, that <laughs> Swedish girl is really, really interesting. Now, you understand, I was 27 years old, and my antennas were up. Okay, so I was watching and praying. Okay, so I was, I'm looking, I'm seeking, and I, I want to find a wife. And I really didn't mind what country she came from. You know, Ganilla was a little bit more picky. 
you know, she said to me the other day, I would have married a Swede or perhaps a Norwegian. And that was about as far as she went. And I said, what about a Brit? You know, what about an Englishman? You know, well, God had to do some convincing. But in the relationship, in the early part of the relationship, before the relationship, we, we were married and, uh, you know, obviously we became one, that there was a lot of pursuing. I was coming to her. I was pursuing her. I was watching her. I was praying about it. I was, I was coming. And as well, Ganilla was, was, was realizing this and she was a little bit uncertain about it as well. And I guess we both were to some degree. But we did a very funny thing on this YWAM school. We had a very funny thing because you were on a, a school with us just a year before that. Not with the get with me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we, we had this game, not game, this thing we did called Angels and Mortals. And what you do with Angels and Mortals, you, we had about 50 people in the class. We, we put everybody's name in like a hat. And we mix them all up. And you get to take somebody's name out. You don't tell anybody. But the name you take out, you become their angel. Okay? So what you do is that you secretly give this person gifts. You secretly pray for this person. You give this, people, this person prophetic words or words of encouragement, scripture verses. And for a 10-day period, you do that. And this goes on on the school while everything else is going on and people are guessing, trying to guess who's their angel. Now, when we did it, when Ganilla and I were on this school together, I was the first person to take a name out of a hat. Okay? And Ganilla prayed, God, you know, let me see if this relationship is of you or not. And I was the first person to put my hand, there were 60 names in that bucket, and I took Ganilla's name out. I could not believe my eyes. I thought, well, there, I knew there was only one Ganilla. We knew there was only one Ganilla. And I, I think, my goodness me, Gunilla Nielsen, I've got it, hot dog. <laughs> and it's like, so for the next 10 days, I was, I was doing things for her, like bringing her flowers, bringing her gifts, writing scriptural verses. And she says to me afterwards, oh, I knew it was you. I knew it was you all the time because I'd say I love you and things like that on there and what have you. But, you know, it's, it's, it's like that as the Father pursues us, isn't it? Because he's got our name, he's got our number, he's got our address, and things, these things that are happening, him coming to us is not a coincidence, but it's God pursuing us. It is the Father and His love actually pursuing us. And that's the way, in the same way that I was wooing Ganilla, I, was, I, was, I wasn't so much a hunter, but I was, I was pursuing her, you understand? And it's the same way that the Father pursues us. And so when Jesus says, I will come to you, He means it. He means it, that he will come. 
He will. He is more um, eager to reveal himself to us than we are for, for God to be revealed to us. He's more eager to reveal who he is to us. So this is a, an incredible promise in John 14, verse 18. Now, when we look at this in the context of sonship, we, or rather this verse is to be looked at in the context of sonship, because in the elimination of the orphanness of our hearts, in the God coming to us and pursuing us, it's all within that context of us discovering him as a father and us trying to walk in or learning to walk in sonship, what it means to be a son. And that process, part of that process is us letting go of the orphanness that we've been used to, which is kind of described or defined by we don't know God as father, we're just going to serve or do something that looks Christian, okay? Which basically it is in very simple terms. Instead, the father is coming to us and we get to discover who he is as a father. Now, that is a beautiful thing. But within this context, there is another dynamic that is actually taking place. There's another dynamic that's actually taking place that is really key in us discovering not only that he is our father, but discovering what it is to be a son. We can turn and look at Malachi, or the only Italian prophet in the Bible, Malachi. Malachi. We will look at the book of Malachi. We'll have a pizza and a bit of a bit of pasta and a glass of wine, and we'll look at Malachi. <laughs> and this is the, what's, what's, I think this is hugely a significant verse. Or a statement that Malachi makes. Because the, these are the last words that are written in the Old Testament before the coming of Jesus. Now just, just, just take a step back from that and think. After these words were spoken, there was a 400 year pause where you could hear the silence. Nothing was said. No prophetic word. No minor prophets. No major prophets. And everybody... Obviously, there was this expectation that one day the Messiah would come, but they were looking and hoping, but there was this, this silence. And the last words that were spoken before they went at that time of silence were these words. And these are the words that were spoken. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, it starts off by saying, 
behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. That, that, that is, I believe that is what we call biblical symbolism. Okay? That, that Elijah was one of the main players, if you like, characters in the Old Testament. And I believe Elijah carries what I would call something like a fathering spirit, the spirit of a father. So he was looked up to. He was, you know, he was symbolic of the prophetic movement in the Old Testament. And then he says, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, that is a little bit of a, it, it's a little bit kind of strange in some way because this is like not much is said about this. But there's a couple of things here that we need to see. The first thing is this. It says a, a fathering spirit is going to come and hearts are going to turn. Okay? Something is going to happen in our hearts. My heart as a father is going to turn towards my children. And my heart as a son is going to be turned towards my father. But I believe that's parents as well. It includes mothers there as well. So God is going to be doing something in our hearts. Now, that seems to be hugely important, doesn't it? It seems to have an incredible weight to it, an incredible kind of, there's a, there's a punch to it. God is going to be doing something in our hearts that's going to restore those broken relationships between the Father, between our fathers, and between our children. And that is going to be hugely important in terms of what God is doing on the earth today. Wow. Isn't that incredible? That's really incredible. So what we what we have done what we have done to a large extent is we've tried to take the inconvenience of our earthly pain out of our relationship and our relating with God. In other words, my relationship with my father, earthly father, is not in any way going to have any sort of influence upon my relationship with God as Father. So we've, just for our own convenience, because we, we would rather ignore pain and hide it as opposed to dealing with it and processing it and letting God sort it out. And so we've had this huge perspective that it's, it's not going to affect our relationship with God. And we wonder why our relationship with God is actually a struggle. We wonder why we think, well, 
that you know what happened with the way I was fathering, perhaps the way we fathered our children. That that has no resemblance at all in our relationship with God. But I believe that does have a a an influence on our relationship with God and how we live out sonship. And so what I've seen is that there is a huge connection between my relationship with my father and my relationship with my heavenly father. It's like I cannot disconnect those two relationships. In my first book, and I think I mentioned this in my second book as well, in my first book, one of the statements that I make is, is this. In this world, we all have two fathers. We have a perfect father, excuse me. We have a perfect father, and we have an imperfect father. And how we deal with the imperfect father, how we deal with the imperfect father, actually determines our relationship with the perfect one. Do you see that? you see that? So th this word here in Malachi, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse, I believe was hugely significant because what God is about to pour out as Jesus appears is a spirit of sonship. And that spirit of sonship being poured out in the context of what Malachi has spoken about, when we heed what Malachi says and understand the spirit of sonship has come to us, we really will discover what it is to have God as our Father and ask to walk out sonship on this earth. Are you with me? So my relationship with my Father and his relationship with me has a huge impact on how I walk with God. Let us turn to Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 4 and verse 6. Galatians 4 and verse 6. This has become a, a, um, a, important, vital, strategic, um, prominent verse, text in relation to speaking about the heart of sonship. So this is Paul speaking to the, to the church at Galatians and he's saying, and because you are sons, comma, say comma, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, this verse has two parts. It has what seems like a small part, and the second part seems to be bigger. But let me tell you, that first part 
is actually bigger than the second part. Because dealing with and letting God deal with our relationship with our Father is huge in the context of us discovering what it is to be sons. So Paul says, and because you are sons. And because you are sons. There Paul is not talking about us being spiritual sons or being sons in the context of our relationship with God. Paul there is talking about, he's talking about our sonship with our parents, with our fathers and with our mothers. Now let me tell you something. When I came into my teenage years, I'd been brought up going to church, brought up as a Baptist. There's a lot of Baptists here in South Carolina, but I was brought up as a Baptist and went to church every single Sunday. And that was it. But when I became a teenager, I started pushing back because of various of experiences and situations that I went through, times when I was hurt, where I was wounded, I was upset by my own parents. Things happened, I was disciplined, it hurt, etc., etc. I started to lose the heart of a son. So my heart literally pulled back. My heart withdrew. Okay? My heart withdrew because I'd been hurt. My heart withdrew because I didn't know what to, how to deal with it. And because I'd been hurt and didn't know how to deal with it, my natural emotional reaction to it was let's reject it and I really don't want to have this. So I start to lose the heart of a son and I pull away. I am physically present and we all know how to do this, how to be physically present but to not have the heart of a son. Because we're, we're really kind of, we're, we're quite deceptive, really. We know how to do that. We know how to play games. So, so on the one hand, we're present. We're eating our parents' food. We're having occasional conversations. But our heart does not trust, and our heart is actually pulled away. So it's pulled away. We're still present. We're still there. We're still biologically and physically part of this family. But our heart is going somewhere else. My heart started to get involved in all sorts of stuff. Pornography, started to smoke, 
16, 17 sites, drink, party, go to football games, have girlfriends, etc., etc. While on the outside, seemingly, I was still present and part of that wee little community we call family. But my heart had completely, completely, completely withdrawn. And internally, I was rejecting what my father and what my mother actually stood for. We've all done it. We all know what it feels like. We all know what the experience is. But this verse says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. What I started to discover over a period of time was that because my heart was withdrawn, my heart trying to connect with God as Father was a struggle. Because my heart had lost an attitude of sonship. My heart had lost an attitude of sonship. And so what do I bring to the table when it comes to Christianity? What do I bring to the table when it comes to ministry? What do I bring to the table is just religion. Let's try and do it harder. Let's do it longer. Let's do it with more noise, more enthusiasm. Let's go further, etc., etc. So there's all these different mechanisms that we put into place that try to cover up the fact that our heart has withdrawn and we really have no idea what it is to be a son. By the way, on an A school, we spend a whole morning dealing with this. I'm giving you just the, I'm giving you the condensed version today. Our friend, James Jordan, who was the one that started Father Heart Ministries, the one that started A schools, was in America in the 1970s. He was on a school that was run by a man called Jack Winter, and he was in Indiana. And he had had a horrible upbringing in terms of his relationship with the Father. And James was seeking God. He was asking God for some answers. And as he was asking God for some answers, God one morning says this to him. He asks him this question. And the question it was, whose son are you? He asked him that question. He's seeking God. He's praying spending time with God and God says to him whose son are you? How does that question feel for you? If you ask me that question that question for me now is so easy to answer 
because I've had a lot of time to process my relationship with my own father. I absolutely know whose son I am. Now, up to a few years ago, I could have gone through a whole array of different names. People in Youth for the Mission, people in Toronto that had an influence on my life. Perhaps they were like a spiritual father and I was like a spiritual son to them. I knew, I knew quite a lot of people that I had a really good relationship with, as did you guys as well. A lot of people we could say, yeah, they were like, I was their son. And when we're asked that question, it creates all sort of emotion on the inside of us. Because if we have rejected our father, if we have lost the heart of a son towards our own father, we will look for all sorts of other people that have seemingly filled that role as father to us. But the answer to that question, whose son are you, was really very simple. The answer was, it was James's father. When I asked that question, it is my father. Not all the people that have brought spiritual influence or impact into my life, it was my father. And regardless of our situations, it doesn't matter whether they were Christian or not Christian. They could have been a, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Sikh, an animist. doesn't really matter who they were. The question is, whose son are you? And whatever influence they had, whatever religion they stood for, that has no impact whatsoever in us answering this question. The issue is, have we lost a heart towards them or not? For this very simple reason, it's because the dealings of God and the workings of God in our heart, he works with the relationships that we were brought into in this world. Okay? And if there's harmony in our relationship with our Father, if we've not lost a heart of a son towards our Father, we know what that attitude and heart is like and we take that into our relationship with God as father and we get to learn what it is to be a son with God the father because we already have a heart of a son but if we've rejected the heart of a son we're not going to know what it's like to have God as our father and us to be a son God works 
with the harmony in our own hearts, in our relationships with our fathers and with our mothers as well. Some people say, well, how is that? How do you, how do you see that restored? Well, let me just tell you this and give you this one little phrase. When I lose something, I always go to my dear wife, Ganilla, because she, most of the things are earthly possessions. She knows where they are, especially in a house. She knows where the underwear is. She knows where the socks are, the shoes are. She's Swedish. When she packs a house, she knows the box it will be in and everything. Everything's marked, labeled, in order, everything. It's like, it's detailed, I'm thinking. That's not the way we grew up. We just threw everything into a box and that was it. It's in one of those boxes, we'd say. Well, Ganilla knows exactly, like the, I was asking for something the other day and she knows it's gonna happen when we're packing up a house. I'm gonna have a question about something. Because I'm thinking about something, where's, that thing or that thing, but she'll have the answer, bang, bang. Well, when I lose something, when I lose something, i.e. my phone or my watch or my wallet or the car keys, um, I'll say to her, I've lost them. And then she'll say, I'll say, where are they, Ganilla? And she'll say, where you left them? Now, that's a logical answer, isn't it? That is truth. That is the truth. That's, she's not lying. You're the, that's the truth. And I say, well, I don't know where I left them. <laughs> I want you to know where I left them, but she has no idea. And then she'll say this. She'll say, ask God. Let me tell you a story. So my friend, Randy Wojmachowski, he's a, got a Polish name, but we call him Randy, where's your house key? <laughs> that's his name. As his, that's where he's originally from. And he labors this lawnmower, this motorized lawnmower. You put gas into it, petrol, and you, boom, you start this thing up, and you, with this big lawn at our house that we had to cut. And I'm just going, I, I'm going out with my shorts and t-shirt on, and I'm just, it's exercise, and you really sweat when you do it here. So I'm out cutting the grass and all of a sudden as I as I turn this lawnmower around this one corner half the handle mechanism with this bit of metal falls off and the, the, the bolt and the screw fall off into the grass and I thought crap that's just the worst thing and it's not my machine it's someone else's machine and it's in grass it's like what chance have you got to find it and so what I did, I looked a little bit, and my looking, I'm just looking up and down like this, and what have you, and I'm thinking, I've got to tell Ganilla. So I go into the garage and get another bolt and another nut out of the garage, out of my toolbox, and put it in there. And I say, oh, Ganilla, it's fine, I found it, I, you know, I've sorted it out, sorted it out. Well, Ganilla's out there with me now, and she finds it. She finds the bolt, and the nut that's supposed to go on there. I'm thinking, how in the world do you do that? You find anything that's lost, Canilla's gonna find that sucker. And even in grass, <laughs> he's gonna find it. 
How in the world do you do it? Now you see. Yeah, he asked God because he knew where it is. So she's, she just asked. He says, and she'll say, God, where is it? And she'll just walk around, God, where is it? And she'll, I tell you what, the things that we found is incredible. Like my son lost his green card when we were in, living in Sweden. And he was about to travel back to America and he doesn't have his green card. I'm thinking, I could have, you know, I wanted to wring his neck, you know. Like, because a new green card, a replacement green card is about three, four hundred dollars. Five. Yeah, you've, have you lost one? Have you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, he and I'm thinking, oh no, this is crazy. And um, my other son had lost a passport and it's, well, it's just, anyhow. But what I've discovered is this, is that where we lose something is the place where we can find it again. Where we lose something is the place where we can find it again. So I've lost the heart, I've lost the heart of a son towards my father. Well, it was like I had to kind of reel the movie back. It's like doing a rewind. Going back to this point where I lost the heart of the sun. And at that point, I've got to find my father again, my earthly father again. And one of the things that I've had to do is go back to my earthly father and say, Father, will you forgive me? This was my attitude. This is what I did. Will you forgive me? I love you and I, I, I respect you. Even though he's not perfect, I took responsibility because I lost the heart of a son. I lost it. He didn't lose it. I lost it. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So quite a long time ago, this was, this was actually before I went to YWAM. This was, 90, this was November 1984. In November 1984, we were at a meeting. I'd come back to God. God was doing things in my heart, and I was getting ready to go to YWAM to Bible school in England. I hadn't met Ganilla. And all these young people were at this meeting. And I hadn't really experienced God coming on me and God just breaking me and God doing stuff in my heart at that particular point. Now I'd seen God do a little, so a few things, but I'd never really experienced a dramatic download from heaven and my heart getting busted open. Well, in this meeting, there was a guy called Keith Cuthbert, Cuthbert, an evangelist called Cuthbert in the 80s. Do you remember that guy in England? Keith Cuthbert. Nick Cuthbert. He was the one preaching. Yeah, yeah. So, and it was in Hastings. Right. 
You know where Hastings is. And um, uh, so I'm preaching, and he, oh, this guy was preaching, and then, then there was a bit of work. And then he had a ministry time. Now, I wasn't really used to a ministry time because I was, I was Baptist. The Baptist didn't know what a ministry time was. Okay, so I've discovered since what a ministry time is, and I've tried to introduce it to a few Baptists. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, in this, in this ministry time, God starts to move. I don't know, there's three, four hundred people in this meeting, mainly young people, and my dad is like three or four along from me. We're standing up, and as God starts to move, I'm feeling this incredible... Um, eagerness um, longing just to go to my father just to go and walk over to my father so I go over to my father and as I get to my father I say to him dad I am so sorry for the way I've acted and behaved towards you and I flung my arms around him and I started to cry like a little boy, just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry like a little boy. And he just held me. I was like 25 years old at that point. He just held me like a little boy and he was praying for me and just held me. That point, that it was like a marker in the sand. My heart started to come back to my father literally started to come back to my father something changed then in my relationship towards my father and our relationship together because God was actually doing something and did something in my heart now when we look when we look at the life of Jesus, we discover something really quite profound. So a lot of times when we relate with Jesus or talk about Jesus, it's in the context of Jesus being the Son of God, isn't it? But let me tell you that Jesus was also and still is the Son of Man. That Jesus is... Um, being, he is totally God, but he is totally man as well. That humanity exists within the Godhead. And when Jesus was referred to while ministering, it wasn't just, here comes Jesus, but they would say, they would call him, Jesus, son of David. Wow. So here is Jesus, but they're putting Jesus in the context of his human um, destiny. What do they call that? Family uh, yeah, family line. Ge yeah, genealogy. He was completely, he, he, he's completely put in the context of his genealogy, of his family line of where he's from. He's not just sent down from heaven. No, but as he's sent down from heaven, God 
God uses that family lineage and brings Jesus into this world in the context of a family that has a genealogy all the way back to Adam. Isn't that incredible? I think it's, isn't it 42 generations or something? It's quite, it's about 42 generations all the way back to Adam as recorded in scripture. Okay? Now, so Jesus is not just the son of God, but he's also the son of man. So his family situation was also, I believe, very important. Hugely important in the context of what he comes to bring and deliver and share and minister. Now, in Luke chapter 3, we looked at Luke 3, 21 and 22 last night. And we can actually just pop back to verse 22. Because that is really quite important here. Because Luke 3, 22, Jesus, it says of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said you are my beloved son in you i am well pleased so now it's it's declared over jesus by the father audibly in the context of a crowd of people that this jesus is the son of god the father in heaven that they knew as Yahweh was now speaking like a father to a son. Mm. Yahweh becomes Papa or Abba. And so people start to see, I believe they start to see that he's the son of God. But when Luke, the writer Luke of this gospel, when he records that, that is hugely important. But what he records immediately after that was that he records the genealogy of Jesus. Verse 23. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of uh, Matat, etc., etc. It goes all the way through the genealogy of Jesus, right down to verse 38, the son of Enoch, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Wow. So, that verse, remember Malachi 4, verse 6, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That, that verse comes to us, that verse comes to us with a reminder that if we lose the heart of a, of, of a son towards our father, God wants to do something in our hearts to bring our hearts back to him as a father, our earthly fathers. And because that happens, because that takes place, then we get to discover what it is to be sons. We get to discover what it is actually to be sons. And when Jesus is revealed, he's revealed as the son of God, 
but he's also revealed as the son of man. He comes into this world as a son. He comes in the context of sonship to a family line. He comes with a human father, but then starts to reveal his heavenly father. I think that's amazing. I think it's incredible. Now this is what this is what's been shown to us in scripture. One of the reasons this has been shown to us in scripture is because this is where the father is taking us. The father is taking us into a walk as a son. I don't want to be a servant. I want I'm going to get to serve, but I'm going to serve as a son. I'm not going to have my identity based in what I do. Rather, my identity is going to be based in the fact that I know God as Father. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus. He was a healer, a miracle worker, a teacher. And they, they had, Jesus was, you know, they used these, all these titles to address Jesus. But the number one prominent title for Jesus was that he was the Son of God. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely incredible. I think the, the struggle in our own hearts, the struggle that we face in the context of our Christianity is the struggle in regards to being a son. It's the struggle that we face. Because let me tell you something, when we discover sonship, it changes our walk with God. It changes a walk with God. So my daughter, Hannah, who's 25 years old, today she's at a store in England, in Bath, England, trying on wedding dresses because she's getting married in March in Bath, England. on my island. She's going to get married on my island. <laughs> and she's there trying on these dresses. And she says, I'm not going to buy one of these. But, you know, these dresses are like 2,000 pounds each. That's like $2,800. Good night. That's expensive. <laughs> yeah. But a few years ago, Hannah was on the school in Toronto. The School of Ministry in Toronto. And for a number of years, she'd been in Sweden with us. What year was she in Toronto? 2016? Around there. We've been in Sweden since 2012, and she was now in Toronto. And it had been, a, our relationship wasn't bad, but it had been strained. It wasn't easy. It wasn't an easygoing relationship. We're probably very similar. It's like she's a chip off the old block 
and we're like two people with both extroverted, strong, kind of, you know, we go get us sort of thing. And the relationship would have been quite difficult. I'd felt that, even though there wasn't huge disharmony, I just felt the strain. Well, this one afternoon, and I remember it was a, it was a Tuesday afternoon, and it was around October, November time, and it was grey outside. We were in Sweden. It's like, like the weather was cold, and it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. And my, it's like that's like ten o'clock in the morning in Canada. So it's like she calls me, and she says, "Papa, I need to talk to you." Now I had not taught her this stuff, but we had been teaching this stuff in Father Heart Ministries. We'd been teaching this, this principle. We'd not taught it to her. Well, she calls me and she said, Dad, Papa, I need to, she calls me, Papa, I, I want to talk with you. And I'm thinking, when your kids say that, you think, does she need money? You know, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Because a lot of times it's money, you know. You know, Hannah asked for money more than the boys did, so. But she, I'm glad she could ask, you know. And um, but anyhow, she says to me, you know, God has been really dealing in my heart. And I'm listening to her, and then she says, God has shown me that I'd lost my heart for you. I lost my heart towards you. And I'm thinking to myself, where did you get that from? That is directly from God. Because I knew what I was teaching and I know that she'd not been in any of the classes or times or sessions when I'd actually taught it. Where she got this from? And she said, I've lost the heart of a son towards you or a daughter towards you, will you forgive me? And by now I'm, I'm choked up, I'm crying. It's, it's really impacting my heart and stuff. And of course, I forgive her. And something that day changed in our relationship. Because up to that point, for a few years, she'd been standing back like this. And she'd been kind of, you know, she was probably afraid. She was probably unsure. I probably hadn't affirmed her or encouraged her in the way I could have done. And her heart was kind of like this. But that day, her heart came back. And I can tell you countless instances from that time when her and I have had huge amounts of fun together. Huge amounts of fun. And Ganilla will tell you as well, we just have a lot of fun together. Because I know now her heart has been turned back to her father. And as her heart is turned back to her father, she's understanding what it is to walk as a daughter. And that that implicates her relationship with God. It implicates her daughtership, her sonship with the father. It implicates that. 
and it's just beautiful to watch. And we've seen healing go right through our family, amongst our kids, our kids with us, us with our kids, because we said, God, we want to come back to you, but if it means our hearts going back to our own fathers, we want to do that. Do you want to tell a bit of your story about you going back home to your father? Like for five minutes? About why we went back to Sweden? Three minutes, Canilla. Because I know you're tired. And do can do can protopasvenska under it. They won't understand. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we've been. I've been at that time when we moved back to Sweden. I've been living abroad for what twenty-two years. You know, we were in YWAM. We left Sweden the year after we got married, and um, you know, I didn't look back because my father, my mother died when I was fourteen. And my father was very difficult at that time. And he just struggled with everything and he was, it would just spill over on me because I was at home, my brother had left. And so, so I, he was just, it was just really hard. And he didn't really want me part of his life. Um, once I'd finished my school, he said, I'm, I'm selling the house, you'll have to find somewhere to live. You know, you'll have enough money to buy your own apartment. But, you know, you have to take care of yourself, so to say. And so it's kind of like, I didn't feel like I rejected him in the same way maybe as a rebellious teenager like Andy would. Because my dad didn't have, we didn't grow up Christian, so we didn't have the same kind of rules or expectations. And so, but I felt that, that um, he really rejected me. And it does the same thing. You know, your heart does the same thing whether you are rejecting someone or you feel rejected. You know, it's that stepping back and not being connected in the same way. And so then, so I lived, you know, um, we lived in Scotland for quite a few years and I would come back to Sweden every summer with the kids when they were little. But then we moved to America and it was a little harder than it was probably every two years. And so it's not like I would see him a lot and he was also very particular with how he did things. So even if I was there for a week or two, he would see me one day with the family and one day with just me. Like, well, that's all, that's like, I've got my dose now, I don't need to see you again tomorrow. It'll just, you know, <laughs> go back to America. And so he was very particular in just how he did relationship. Um, it's not it's not easy. So I think, you know, there's just a lot of parts of my heart that that were hurt by how he was and particularly, you know, the dealing with him after my mom died, there was a lot of grief and things that I had to work through with the Lord at different times in my life. Anyway, so I was coming into my forty ninth year, which is like the year of Jubilee before you turn fifty. And um I just knew that it was specific and it was like a um, special thing. Uh, and as I was asking the father, you know, what does this mean, this year mean? What do you want? And he really clearly talked talk to me about the year of Jubilees when you go back to your own people. The year, you know, everything is forgiven, your debts are gone, and 
you go back to your family inheritance. And it's at this time for you to go back. Go back to your own family. And, um, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> and I really felt it was, you know, we moved a lot and I'm not sure about all of the moves. But I knew that this one was something in it that was really significant and important. And, and, and my dad, by this time, the year we moved back, he turned 80. My dad has always been very independent, doesn't need anybody, and, and this year he turned 80, and you know, so he's getting a little older. And I was there, he's still living at home and doing everything himself, but he was getting a bit frail. And so the next couple of years, you know, he had a few incidents when he fell over and he broke his arm and, and he was kind of deteriorating a bit. And every time, you know, I was there to help him and he had, he really changed, he'd really changed. And we spent time, we got for lunch and now, you know, not just once a year. <laughs> you know, the thing before we moved, I was thinking, you know, if I see him once, a year, I have 10 days left, maybe. <laughs> and that really hit me. Like, I'll have, I'll have 10 days left with my father if at this point, you know, he, he probably wouldn't, he smoked all his life, he probably would not live to 100, you know. He might live to 90, maybe. <laughs> and so in this, this next few years, I'd see him, not every day or anything, but Every two weeks, we go out for lunch, or we go for coffee, or we'll drive around in the countryside and look at something. Or, and it was just a really special time. And at the at one point, he had to go into a home for, um, you know, for the elderly because he couldn't really take care of himself anymore. And God worked that out in an, just an amazing way too. It was like five minutes away from where he lived his last few years of his life like everyone knew him already and it was just special it was, it was a great little place where he was and I would come there and visit him um, and I think with some of those things I know when you get older some of your barriers go and some of your defenses go and I think he'd never wanted to receive anything from me I would buy him gifts or I would get him something and he would he would give it away or he'd say, no, thank you, take it home with you, or like he wouldn't receive. It was a very hard thing for him to do. <laughs> and he'd be very blunt about it, like, I don't like that, just take it with you, I don't want it. <laughs> but this time, you know, it changed and he would finally let me get him things. I would bring flowers to his room every time I came and he loved it. And other little things, and it's, it's like that whole side of him was gone. And we had this, just this reconnection that I never thought was possible. And I don't think I really realized afterwards what he had done in my heart, that God had done in my heart through this, that I'd had, so he passed away. And I remember that year before he, when, the year when he died, that um, i come to his, to his room to visit and I just had it on my heart that day that you know I, was, I wanted to pray for him and we talked about God he got, he was he'd gone with me to church when he retired he started to go to the local 
Lutheran church. And he would always refer back to the year when I was learning to drive, we'd go to Pentecostal church. You know, so he would have to come with me there. So he would come with me for a few months there, and he liked that, but he thought they were kind of weird. But, so <laughs> but he would always refer back to this as, yeah, they were a lot happier than in this Lutheran church. <laughs> so faith was there somewhere, um, but I just knew that day that it was, it was something we just should do together. And I sat down on his bed and I said, you know, I think we should do something today, you and me. And straight away he said, yeah, we should pray together. We just, like we had never done that before. <laughs> so we did, and I prayed for him, and he did pray, you know, a prayer of salvation, as we call it. But and it was just a moment. It was just a moment. And afterwards, I thought, did that really happen? Like, was that real, God? Did that really happen? And I just knew that this. My dad was in his God's hands. He was there, whether he understand completely how we understand it or whatever. I just knew that he'd done something and that I didn't have to worry about him. And um, towards the end of that year, um, you know, I got the phone call from the staff saying he doesn't have, you need to, you and your brother probably need to come and sit with him this week, you know. And we did, we took turns each day that week before he passed away. And my dad never been very encouraging towards us. And he believed, you know, if you brag on your children, it's like bragging on yourself. And in our culture, that is not very, that's, you don't do that. You know, you don't boast. So he wouldn't really be very generous with encouragement or things like that. And even rarely that he would say that he loved me. But that day, um, before he died, he died in the night, very peacefully. He just took my hand, his, my face in his hands, and says, I love you. And it was just like, how sweet is that? That is, who does, who can do that? God does those things that you just can't plan. So I had um, like a three and a half years with him before he died. Those three and a half years, you know, made up for the previous 20. <laughs> um, and I think in, in that process, my own heart, that I'd felt rejected, I felt he wasn't interested in my life, and I felt he didn't want me part of his life, and um, that I got my heart as a daughter back in a way that I just couldn't have planned, and, and that work that he did in me, it was it was important. It was so significant, and then we we do when we teach this, you understand what it really means. And you know, our parents, most of us maybe have gone through difficult times. Some of us didn't have parents, and but you, they gave us life. <laughs> they weren't far from perfect, and um, but they gave us life. And they did, most of them did their best. They did what they knew. And in us forgiving them and honoring them and, and um, saying sorry for our own rebellion and, and whatever we did, there's something that can take place 
that is divine, yeah, that is God, God's working in our heart. So that's my story. <laughs> that makes me cry. They, they, the, most of you here don't understand. I don't say that in a belittling way to you, but in Sweden, or in Scandinavia really, you don't just go around saying, I love you, I love you, I love you to people, like we do in America, which is great. So the Swedish term, I love you, is Jagelskade, which is a very powerful statement, isn't it, in Sweden? You don't, you don't just say it. And I never heard, I had never heard those words come out of her father's mouth towards Gunilla. In the, all the, and how many years was that? 30 years, 30 years that I'd been married I never heard him say that, Jagielska day. And that day I was sitting at the end of the bed and I just shocked. I'm hearing these words come out of his mouth. And I knew then the father had done something in her heart. And so when you look at, you look at our lives, you think, you know, it's, it's wonderful that what God has put in us and what God's anointed us with, but it's been a process that we've walked through. And this is part of the process of how we really come into sonship. And we, when we do an A school, this is a bit of a plug for the A school, we, we spend a lot more time on this. We get people to write letters to their fathers, as you guys did on the school when you came. And it's such an incredibly powerful healing moment when we, we get to express something from our heart. You know, the, it, it really is an act of repentance back towards our fathers. And we, we get to discover in the context of that what it is to the, it's like a doorway into our own sonship with God. And the Father actually does that. Wow. I didn't expect this tonight. But I guess I should just know God can do this anytime. Wow. I just see the Father doing this in your hearts, giving you a heart of a son back to your fathers and back towards your mothers. Even if they're no longer with you, they've died and passed, God can still change your heart towards him. He can still restore that because what the Father is doing in your heart, he's bringing you to a place of knowing what it is to be a son. That's the purpose of the gospel that you and I get to live out sonship on this earth. <coughs> Let's just put our hands on our hearts, shall we? So Father, do that in the same way you've done it in our lives. And we've had to walk through sometimes a very painful process to do it. But grace our hearts to do it, God. 
that we discover what it is to take back the heart of a son towards our mom and our dad, mum and pup, regardless of what they've done, but our heart will come back to them. So Father, grace our heart, do the work in our heart. You said you will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. So I ask you right now, I pray prophetically that you would turn the hearts, our hearts, back to our fathers and back to our mothers. And Father, as well, our, our attitudes and our stuff with our own kids, you would restore that as well. You would restore that relationship. As we see it restored with our parents, it would restore with our children as well. In Jesus' name. Father, just thank you that you're here. We thank you that you've spoken to us in Jesus' name. Mr. Mark Burlington. Thank you. We love you too. Andy is just demonstrated so powerfully that when God does something it becomes a treasure to touch others and so as God works in each of us I bless the treasure God is creating, forming, calling forth in each of your hearts is to be passed on to others. Every one of us keeps going deeper in this. This is not something where you check off the box and I'm done. <laughs> it's got far more life to it than that. But as we give it away, it grows so Andy thank you for giving it away I feel like Father's saying he'll make a way if we want to set our hearts to be able to do that and we don't know how to that he'll make a way to do is whisper that yes to you. Somehow I want to do this, God, but I don't know how. But you catch that. You hear that whisper. You hear the heart cry. And you said it all. Whatever the response, it's like there's something that becomes clean in us as we're able to do that. that you make a way. And I want to close us out by reminding you that the gospel is that God comes to us. 
So if in any way your heart feels like this hasn't worked out for me like it did for Andy Ganilla, that's okay. God is here coming to you right now in this moment. He knows. He's here. Andy said that right at the beginning. He's here. It's a journey. We're all on that journey together. So Father, thank you that you come to us to turn hearts. And we're saying yes to you. Yes to your transformation. We're choosing to be changed into sons and daughters as you turn our hearts to, to our parents and to you. And we trust you with the rest of it. Would you continue what you've started? We trust you to do that. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love this. <laughs> it feels like heart surgery, yeah. but, and it is, but it is, everything about it heals our heart. So it's just fine exactly where you're at. Because God's doing it. Don't rush. <laughs> don't hold back, but don't rush. God's doing it. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Ganilla. Every time you stand up and open your mouths, we benefit. It's beautiful. Thank you to our beautiful worship team, who didn't get to do any, but the atmosphere in here was wonderful because of what you did before we got here. So thank you. All right. Go home. Sleep. We will see you in the morning. We love you.